Hello, greetings, thanks for your interest in spiritual matters. My name's Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And today, it'd be good for us to give some consideration to a major part of our Bibles, the Old Testament. It's 39 out of the 66 books of the Bible, after all. Uh, what's the history of the Old Testament and its text? How have we come to get the Old Testament text? And how can we be sure that what we have in the text is accurate? How can we know that it really reflects the type of things that went on back in the past? And so let's spend some time looking at the history and the transmission of the Old Testament text that we can have confidence in our Bibles. And again, we can look at kind of how the text came about its history. We can roughly sketch approximately when the texts were probably written. Uh, it's very important for us to note that the oldest actual preserved text, something we can hold in our hands, from the, some portion of the Bible, was written in the 7th century before Jesus, as we're going to see. The vast majority of the text copies we have, though, are from the 2nd century BC and later. So all information about when texts are written are based from internal clues from the text, not necessarily empirical evidence. This is the stuff we can hold comes later. We also have to account for the fact that biblical texts have a source themselves, and maybe were exposed to some later editing or glossing. Uh, so, what do you mean when it said the texts have an original source? Well, you might notice in books like uh, uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, that, uh, behold, if you want to learn more about what happens in this person's reign, you check the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel, or the book of Jahar, and things of that nature. You've got these different, um, different texts that are mentioned. Most of them are no longer uh, existing to our knowledge. We may dig something up eventually, but we don't have any copies of them right now. Showing, though, that the, the books that were written have references. Uh, they're appealing to other things that people know exist and can be referenced. Uh, editing is organization of material, and glossing is an addition of material for understanding. So, for instance, with editing, we have prophetic books, something like Hosea, where we see the words of Hosea, but they've been put together later by somebody uh, to preserve what he wrote and add a little comment there at the end about it. An example of glossing would be Deuteronomy 2, 10 through 12, where in the middle of Moses' speech, somebody has come in to explain who the Emim are, the, all these people are that are being mentioned, and referring to uh, events that happened after Moses' death, when, after Israel had uh, entered the land, and presuming that Israel had already entered the land. Um, so, having said both of those things, um, most of the Old Testament was written between 1500 and 530 B.C. In the period between 1500 and 900 around, uh, the Pentateuch was written. Uh, in the time of the United Kingdom, uh, from 1000 to 900, we get Joshua and Judges, many of the Psalms, Proverbs, Solomon, Ecclesiastes, maybe the earliest level of First and Second Samuel. Early in the Divided Kingdom, uh, we have First and Samuel, Second Samuel completed, and in later Divided Kingdom and the Exile period between about 700 and 530, we have the First and Second Kings and the books of the prophets, most of them. Uh, as we said, this is the first actual time we have a text. The Ketef Hinnom Silver Scroll, dating around 600 BC. It contains the priestly blessing of Numbers 6, 24 and through 26. Uh, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. So after, uh, in the Persian period, 530 to 450 BC, we have the later text written. First, Second Chronicles, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And 
from this point on, the shift goes from writing of texts to the interpretation of texts. So we see this already happening a lot in Ezra, reading the law, making sense of it, um, and compiling and copying text becomes the main way that the message gets preserved. The prophetic word ends. And so we don't have inspired people writing the books anymore. The books have been written, so now they're going to be handed down. And so that now gets us from the history of the text to the idea of the transmission of the text. Now, to be honest, from the period of, from the days of Moses until the end of the destruction of, of Jerusalem in 586, we don't have a lot of information about textual transmission. There's evidence that there are texts being written down. Many of them are possibly maintained in some form of royal library. Uh, that would include all our parts of the Pentateuch and that are in the temple. Uh, they're found to be able to read to Josiah in 2 Kings. And the text possibly shows some uh, variations, or maybe little variations. We don't know. We don't have a lot of information about that process. Now, after the destruction of Jerusalem, it's clear that there is a need to preserve the scriptures. And there's other texts that are most likely destroyed. Again, some of them referenced the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel and Judah uh, are, are likely no longer in, in uh, could be found. Uh, and, and others are like the books of the wars of Yahweh, um, book of Jashar, things of that nature. Yeah, sure. Um, there's some possible editing of texts going on at this time, things of that nature, to, to show the presentation that God would have them have. Uh, we start seeing around 300 uh, the definite existence of different textual families. Around 280 before Jesus. Uh, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is begun. Uh, and the Septuagint makes has different differences from the Hebrew text. We know what we call the Hebrew text, the Masoretic text, the MT. We'll describe that in a minute. Um, from about 150 to uh, before Jesus to 70 to year 70 the year of the destruction of Jerusalem, we start seeing the standardization of the text. It's not there's a formal formal canon, uh, but uh, there's an informal one. There's a consolidation of the view of, of inspired versus uninspired books. Uh, this is the time of the Dead Sea Scrolls around 250 BC to 68 uh, of our era, found in 1947 in the deserts of Judea. Uh, there's remnants of text from a community of Qumran we believe were Essene in nature. A lot of the biblical texts were preserved. The vast majority of it agrees with our Hebrew text, the Masoretic text, although it's very interesting that the variants that do exist, many of them validate the Septuagint reading. And there are some completely new variants, especially uh, in 1 Kings 10, we have an expanded gloss, or 11, uh, involving Nahash, the son of Ammon, which you can find in the New Revised Standard Version that comes from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Very, very good case for that, having uh, be a, a preserved historical memory. By the first century, the biblical canon is essentially fixed. Uh, some talk about a meeting of rabbis of Jamni in the year 70. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of evidence about that, but around this time, you know, there'll be some arguments about some books like Esther and things that Song of Solomon don't have the name of God in it or about its nature. But in general, the books of the Old Testament are recognized throughout. Um, in the medieval period, Middle Ages, uh, the he transmission of the Hebrew text is placed in the hands of a group of scribes called the Masoretes, and that's what we call them, the Masoretic text. They they are very, very deliberate what they do. Um, now, Hebrew is a letter, or is a language, excuse me, of consonants, or only the consonants are written down. They have vowels in them, but when it comes to the writing, the consonants are written. Uh, to provide help in reading, um, 
in, in ancient times, even before Jesus, they had what are called uh, Mater Lectionis, Mothers of Reading. And so there are uh, certain letters that will be put in the text, uh, Yod, Vav, He, to identify different vowels, so, vowel sounds. Uh, the Masoretes are the ones who go and make their own, what we call, uh, vocalization pointings. Uh, a whole series of Masoretic vocalization pointings. The little dots and little shapes underneath the Hebrew letters and around the sides and on top of the Hebrew letters, those come from the Masoretes. And that tries to standardize the vocalization of the text. Um, they also added uh, textual notes uh, when they were transcribing the text. Those notes are called the Masora. Uh, they would count the individual letters. They would count the words. And so they would have a good understanding of when there might be some variation in the copying process. And because they took such fastidious care of the text, there's almost no variation in the text for a millennium. And when the printing press was invented in 1450, uh, the textual transmission was replaced with textual criticism. Before we talk about that, there, were, there are some uh, full manuscripts of this time. So in uh, 925, uh, we have the Aleppo Codex. It's three-quarters of the biblical text. It's recognized as a model codex. The, everything is very precise about it. It's great. Uh, codex Leningradensis, the Leningrad Codex, comes from 1009. It is the most complete text in the tradition, and it is the basis of most critical editions of the Hebrew text. So most of your Bible translations you have today, uh, Numeric Standard, English Standard, New Revised Standard, Revised Standard, uh, are being uh, translated from Biblica Hebraica Studargensia, BHS, which the basic text come, is, is the Codex Leningradensis. So, yeah, okay, it's a thousand years after Jesus, but it the, the correlation rate with the uh, text from the Dead Sea Scrolls is amazing. Uh, there's very little doubt regarding the integrity of the text as handed down uh, from at least the days of Jesus. Absolutely. No worries about that. So, the Old Testament has come through a lot of transmission before they came to us and so some people find it very disconcerting that at the very beginning point we don't have any evidence of this actual transmission process well how can we have any confidence that what we're reading makes any sense according to uh, reality at all well thankfully archaeology has uncovered a lot of texts uh, from the ancient near east and, and other things that verify biblical events so in second kings 3 we have an account of the, the fight between misha and the kings of israel and judah uh there's a moabite stone that's been discovered where we we get that uh conflict from misha's perspective uh, uh there's been a description found in in the uh, monument the ruins of dan uh that mentions the house of david uh the sennacherib prism uh, which was found in assyria uh, chronicles the invasion of Judah by Sennacherib, according to Sennacherib's perspective. Uh, tells a story from his perspective, and interestingly, uh, talks about, you know, caging up Hezekiah in Jerusalem like a bird, but ne that he never actually takes the city. Uh, which, we get truth by omission there, uh, paralleling the biblical account. Uh, there's a lot of text that relates to the Babylonian invasions. Uh, we found a lot of archaeological evidence that correlate the situations and contexts. Uh, some of the things about Abraham and the peculiarities of the Abraham story uh, make sense in light of uh, customs at the end of the 3rd millennium B.C. in... Um, beginning, excuse me, 3rd millennium B.C. 2nd millennium B.C. Um, not 3rd millennium B.C., excuse me. Uh, 
from places like Mar and things like that. Uh, the idea of uh, why he would take H Hagar as uh, to have a child as opposed to through Sarah, things of that nature. Uh, we found a lot of evidence about the Canaanite religion that shows the, the critiques of the prophets and uh, what's condemned in Deuteronomy is consistent with the practices of the time. Um, the Israel was contextualized in its time as an early Iron Age civilization, uh, among other early Iron Age civilizations, based on the historical evidence. Uh, likewise, we have other ancient versions that provide evidence for the text. So we said, sure, that oldest copies, full copies of the Hebrew text come from 1,000 years ago. But uh, we have other texts that come from much earlier. Uh, so there's, we said the Greek Septuagint, and there's also the Old Greek that came before it, which was translated probably in the 3rd century B.C. by Jews in Alexandria. There's a lot going on in that. There's a, there's a lot of different recensions or editions made of it, uh, from Lucian, Symmachus, Theodosian, also the Hexapleric, uh, compilation by uh, Origen in the 3rd century of our era. Um, now, the texts we have from those are 3rd century 4th century of our era, uh, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. Uh, we don't talk about those in terms of their New Testament, uh, since they're also some of the earlier New Testament texts, but they also had the complete Old Testament, Septuagint in many of them. And there's some papyri fragments, uh, but not much earlier, and there's some difficulties that need to be sorted out with it. Uh, many of the variants demonstrate that the Septuagint has come from a Hebrew text and a different tradition than the Masoretic text. Not too different, but different enough. And when we look at the Septuagint readings, we kind of retrovert them back into Hebrew, they do provide some readings that make a bit more sense of the text than what we see in the Masoretic text. Uh, and uh, the value of that, again, was verified by the Dead Sea Scrolls, where we actually found those Hebrew version. What we retroverted back from Greek into Hebrew, it was actually there in the Hebrew. Uh, the Samaritan Pentateuch. The Samaritans, remember from Ezra and other and John 4, uh, were the Jewish half-breeds, half-Jews that were up in the areas of Samaria, uh, the old northern kingdom. And they have their own version of the Pentateuch, um, which they originally got from the Jews. Uh, it was adapted to serve Samaritan interests whenever possible. The earliest manuscript of it is in the 12th century of our era, but the tradition goes back to around the 5th century BC. And there are some of the variants that agree with the Septuagint over the, the Masoretic text. Some are unique, although, again, the text is suspicious because it's been clearly tampered with for ideological reasons, taking everything away from Jerusalem and Judah, making more about Joseph and Gerizim. Other versions. There's a Latin Vulgate, uh, which was originated around the 3rd century of our era, written in the late 4th century, and translated by Jerome. The Peshitta, somewhere between 2nd and 4th centuries of our era. These are secondary witnesses. They follow the translations of the, of the Hebrew Masoretic with help of the Greek, or just from the Greek. But sometimes they'll have uh, unique and superior variants they'll show, and uh, the base varies slightly from the Masoretic text. There's also the Aramaic Targum. The Aramaic was a more common language of the Jews. The scriptures were freely translated in Aramaic. So the Targum's value it comes from as early as you know time of Jesus to around 1,000. Uh, they're free translations, but sometimes they're superior variants or explaining te the text in ways to help us clarify to understand things going on in, in, in the Hebrew. Other texts are the Coptic text from after the 4th century, uh, from both Heretic and uh, Sahitic texts. Uh, the Ethiopic Amharic from Ethiopia around after the 3rd century. Uh, in Cairo, they found a Geniza. Uh, the, again, Jew, Jewish people are very fastidious with their texts of the Bible, and so they would not want to uh, destroy 
texts uh, that had uh, from the Bible and other things. And so what they would create would be special storerooms that basically the texts were just left and sat there. They were called Geniza. And so we found a depository of these old texts from the 11th century in Cairo. Uh, that has helped our ability to understand things. There are other witnesses as well. And the New Testament itself is a witness. After all, it was written in the first century, and there's a lot of quotations of the, of the Old Testament in Greek and also um, some translations from the Hebrew in it. Uh, early Christian literature, we call it patristics from the 2nd to the 9th centuries, uh, testify the text, and also the rabbinic literature, uh, mostly seen in the Talmud and the Mishnah, uh, commentaries on uh, Mishnah's commentary on the, on the law, and the Talmud is commentary on the Mishnah. Uh, the first through seventh centuries also preserves the original text as well. When we talked about New Testament text, we normally talks about the Greek text. It's sure there's other there's other the text is in translation, but there's so many Greek texts and so many early Greek texts that the, most of the other translations are not appealed to very often. But with the Old Testament text, uh, we it's it's shrouded a bit more obscurity. Uh, there's manuscripts of the Old Testament that m may seem late and have variants that New Testament textual criticism would be easily dismissed. But for Old Testament textual criticism, it's still very possible that that, that text, even though it might be older, may have a variant that was faithfully transmitted over a long period of time. And since the extant manuscripts are rather late, you know, the earliest is the Greek one from the 4th century of our era. Uh, Hebrew goes to the 11th century. So there's a lot more legitimacy given to other versions and manuscripts that come later just because they may actually be preserving things uh, in surprising ways that we would, may not have expected. So the Old Testament is not as well as attested as the New Testament is. But there's versions and extra-biblical accounts. We can be sure that the Old Testament we have is fairly accurate to the original text. And so we can have confidence, as Paul did, that uh, when we read the Old Testament, that it is uh, the Word of God, and that from it we might have hope, come to a better understanding of what God uh, was accomplishing through His people, and how it reached its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus, whom we should serve today. We're so thankful again that you've joined us. If you've been benefited by this, we encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions about it, we said, please feel free to contact uh, us. Uh, if you have prayer requests or other ways you can be of service, please let us know at VenetiaChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on uh, social media. If I can be of service, please contact me through my website at DeVerboVitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Again, thank you. Have a great day.